trying to recapture a bit of England's perfect summer, I went recently to San Diego. To say that craft beer is big there, it's like saying the Pacific Ocean is a bit wet. There are easily 180 plus brewers in the city, with brewers seemingly coming and going every day. Not all, but a good portion of San Diego's brewers put out something in a can or bottle, or even both. While the brewers are all best buddies when it comes to visiting each other's tap rooms, when it comes to the fight for supermarket shelf space, no holds are barred. While those who made the grade get some decent shelf space inside the cooling case aisles that run the length of the store, pushing into space formerly reserved for Budweiser, Coors, and Corona, the rest find it out on a much smaller end aisle shelves. On the four shelves, each about four feet wide, there must have been a total of about 20 or 30 different breweries' beers, most represented by just one can or bottle. Talk about pressure. That one bottle you select to have the store promote can make or break it for you in the big legs. Will you be living on steak or pot noodles? At a Vaughn's, I watched the guy trying to decide which beer to select from the end aisle. In his shopping trolley was a screaming three-year-old. His wife was giving him grief about something, while all the poor guy wanted was just 30 seconds of peace and quiet to pick out a cold one. Was he asking for too much? With a frantic look, he grabbed a can, and that was it. I was really curious as to what was his selection process. Did he know the brand already? Was he attracted to the colors on the label, the logo, the font, the words on it? If I had been braver, I would have asked him, but his wife caught my eye and gave me a look that should have put me six feet under. Hi, this is Velo Mitrovich, and you're listening to the Brewer's Journal podcast from Reby Media. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Magic Rock, Cloudwater, and Beavertown as they discuss their own beer branding and marketing. All three were part of a discussion regarding this at our recent Brewers Lectures, and I'll also be talking about two of my favorites from San Diego, one of which has been wildly successful, and no, I don't mean stones, and the other which is in serious financial problems. I'll give you this hint if you want to guess. Don't believe for one second that having a brilliant logo, brand, and beer can save your ass from your own stupidity. One thing I like about Magic Rock, Cloudwater, and Beavertown is that as much as they'd like the entire country to be drinking their beer, they realize that it's never going to happen. Never. But, according to Isaac Arthur and Cody Fogg of beer marketing company Kodo, by telling a compelling story through branding and positioning, all of which all three have done, you're going to connect with a certain kind of person. And if you do it right, through great beer, branding, marketing, and service, they'll be your biggest fans and evangelists. In fact... If you really do this right, you may even turn some people off. But that's okay. That's part of it. You can't be everything to everyone. And the three we're going to talk about are all marching to the beat of their own drummer. Magic Rock came about in 2011 and was founded by Richard Burhouse, his brother Johnny, and head brewer Stuart Ross.
Richard's family ran a rock business that sold crystals and natural gifts in West Yorkshire, and the brewery was the first located in an outbuilding of the family business. As Richard says, the name was a very clear nod to the brewery's roots and locations. Richard, a self-taught designer, did all the design work for the family business with 10 years experience, but as he says, despite having a real passion for Magic Rock Brewery, he didn't trust himself or his abilities in creating a brand or logo. You just have one shot. For him, it made sense to bring in a professional, and this was Rich Norgate. Even though my, um, my role in the family business was graphic design, I'd had 10 years experience doing the graphic design, self-taught. I didn't trust myself when it came to a new business. I thought I had one shot at this. I had the passion for the product, but I thought I really need to trust someone else's design. Someone who, someone who I really revered's design and by luck and chance really, it was, it was very lucky I got to meet Rich. For inspirations as to what type of design to use, Richard says he likes what they're doing in the States. It was fresh and fun and decides that was the feel that Magic Rock should go after. You know, I, I not only fell in love with the beer in America, I fell in love with the branding really, the youthful approach that they had to it. And I was aware that that was creating, you know, cult followings within people over there. And I thought we could, we could replicate um, something similar really in the UK. In looking at beer design over the years, you see some of the traditional beers and even with your eyes half cocked, you could tell instantly who they are by the consistency of design, logo, font, and color. As much as most of us dislike Budweiser, there are few labels as distinct as their logo and red color. For Magic Rock, Richard says that he and Rich spent six months kicking back and forth ideas. Richard says he wanted a distinct design with a professional approach, but at the same time, he wanted something intriguing. Good design is, is distinctive. It's very important to be consistent and have continuity, which gives you recognition within a marketplace. A professional approach to everything we do and considering everything not just making snap decisions, you know, considering everything really well was very important. And as I mentioned, the, the intriguing idiosyncratic feel was everything I wanted for the brand really. And we, I knew I had a good brewer lined up in Stewart. I knew the kind of hoppy beers we wanted to make, but I was really keen that the brand didn't let us down, you know. And as I say there, in hindsight, I think this gave us an understanding, this, this process of, of back and forth. You know, I, I felt, always felt bad when he'd bring some, something to me and I'd say, no, you know, it's not that. Or, you know, inside I'd be like, oh, you know, but we got, we got there in the end, didn't we? And I think that process we had over the first six, eight months really, really has helped going forward because we both understand what we want from the brand and, and how we want it to be. And Rich knows I won't just put up with any old shit, I suppose. While you might think that Magic Rock's logo would have something to do with Crystal or Rock, it has nothing to do with their name. It's a fairly simple logo showing an abstract factory in black with all the windows lit up to show that they're working around the clock to bring you great beer. And underneath the name is a big drop of beer. Once you have a logo you like, the question is then, how do you use it? Does it have to run big or prominent on every product? Or can your brand, being so distinct, stand on its own? Richard Norgate explains. We've got his logo, which is, I suppose in some ways, quite straight-laced and not, I won't say corporate, but very recognisable, easy to put on stuff and legible and readable. And what came, what came after that was the illustrative, illustrative style, which allowed us to create almost like a secondary brand that could to some extent live on its own, in its own world. But uh, we knew that we had a theme that we wanted to run with, with 
the work that Richard seen that I'd done previously. And yeah, this was like the very fun, creative sort of part of it really. And now the two can, like I say, live separately. You know, we've had criticism in the past of, you know, we can't see your logo on a can, but it is full with all our illustrations and stuff. And people sort of seem to react to that. And it's having that confidence, I suppose, to kind of not, to not sort of like, move and say that we have to put his logo massive on the can but it's that classic sort of thing you know we can't see it so let's make it bigger it's like bollocks you know if you're sort of confident in like what it looks like i mean beaver town's a really good example of that nick's illustrations are instantly recognizable as beaver town and they've never sort of smashed their logo massively in places you know it's just that is beaver town that is nick's work there are a few things that seem as easy or as hard as to what to name your beer when I was a kid, it was easy for breweries because most produced only one type of beer. Now, however, it's a completely different story. Do you go with a name that describes what's in the bottle, like stone bitter chocolate oatmeal stout, or something completely at the opposite end, like albino squid assassin? My brother and I, both being fans of San Diego Zoo, came up with a list of names like Gorilla Shit Porter and Antelope Piss Logger. Oddly enough, no one has yet to beat a path to our doors to help with name development. So, so we, we had the logo and we had the idiosyncratic, sorry to keep using that word, the, the characterful um, artwork. And then uh, naming was a big part of what we did as well. I, I had probably 20 or 30 names by the time we started the brewery, I think. And it, it was just really important to me. I'm not sure why. Maybe this is the way I responded to other products on the market when I was drinking them. And some of what I fell in love with in America was... The naming conventions really and and i think to some customers it can seem like things are just plucked out of thin air but we do spend a lot of time thinking about good names you know and, but i think it's important to tie the brand together with with naming conventions they are the sort of things people remember if they wake up in the morning what was that beer last night i had oh yeah it was you know cannonball or whatever they, they will remember things like that and that that to me was was an perhaps an overlooked thing but a very important thing um, I would say, you know, that there's, that's one way of doing it. Obviously, we've seen in uh, recent times, well, actually, even before we started, the Colonel had already gone on a much more straightforward naming convention, you know, the type of hops, etc. And I know that's done very well for uh, Paul and Cloudwater and stuff. So it's whatever suits, really. But for us, this, this really tied the brand together, I thought. And what we ended up with in the first instance was this was the core... Uh, branding. These were the five beers we launched with in uh, cask and keg uh, in, two th in May 2011. And as it says on the screen, really, I think you get sort of one chance to make a good impression with, with this sort of stuff. Um, and we wanted to convey a level of quality, a level of consistency. We thought if we did things really well in the branding and were consistent in the way we, we did it, it would, it would make people believe in that we were fastidious in our production methods as well and did things properly and it bore you know we it did work out that way really we were two people in an old um outbuilding of uh, of a factory me and Stuart were in the early days but but uh, you know this is my favorite soundbite would people would ring up even after a month to speak to the marketing department and I'd be like uh, yep hang on a second and hello uh, what would you like to know about the market? You know, it really was like that, and I'm really I'm a firm believer that the brand gave us that. It ga it gave us um, a, a platform to move forward on in a professional level. I think things have sort of come full circle. Really, we were lucky to benefit from a period where people didn't perhaps put as much effort into brand. There were 
many, many excellent breweries around at the time when I was getting into beer, but I only knew they were excellent because I drank it, and I'd tell people the branding was woeful, to be honest. And now I think things have come full circle to some degree. There are some absolutely excellent brands about, uh, and the beer a little bit iffy, you know, and I, I apologise if we were something to do with, do with that professionalism around the branding. But what, what we really wanted to do was have both uh, elements within within um, within the brewery. You know, we wanted that excellent quality allied, allied to excellent branding, and we felt that would give us a really good chance. Beavertown Brewery is based in London and was founded in 2012 by Logan Plant. In June 2018, it was announced that Heineken would be buying a minority stake so Beavertown could spend £40 million on a new brewery and visitor site. Graphic designer Nick Dreyer has been Beavertown's artistic creative force since the beginning and has created a distinct style that sets Beavertown apart. It is very much a love or hated look with no middle ground. Is it fun and free-spirited, or is it trying a bit too hard to be a bit wacky? And do either of these two views then reflect positively or negatively on the beer production itself? What Nick is really clear about is his own evolution and dare we say, his maturing as a commercial artist. Why I think it's important to concentrate on Nick and not so much on Beavertown is because many of you listening to this are either dealing with designers or will be someday. Good luck. As one friend describes designers in general, they're delicate spirits. Nick has learned from his uni days to now that if you're working for a company that you strongly believe in, your boss, your co-workers, and your company has to come before your own ego. And he's the first to admit, though, it hasn't been an easy journey. In one of my most misguided ever um, attempts at impressing people, I called it boner to begin with. Um, and I'll take that. That's horrible. And I, did not, and I did not listen to my tutors at uni when they went, Nick, no. Like, no, don't do that. Uh, that's, that's not funny. And I was like, but yeah, but counterpoint. Yes, it is. And, um, and so they, yeah, so they, they, that was my first instance of being told that something that I was doing was wrong and just ignoring them and just going forward with it. And so at the end of the first comic book fair we had at school, there was a pile of these left on the table and nothing else. Like, no, everyone else's stuff had sold. People were like, cool. Was, oh, no, 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 no. When Logan was looking at Nick's first attempt at Beavertown's beard label, he told Nick that the design wasn't there yet. Nick says, huh, I thought, well, I'm not going to do any more work for you if you're going to criticize mine. His turnaround seems to be going to show Beavertown's management the label for Gamma Ray, which had some astronauts battling it out on an alien world with their ray guns. I thought it was brilliant. They didn't. They asked me, it's called Gamma Ray. What are the Gamma Rays? Oh, yeah, I thought. So we had this, this brewery and we had this beer that was really good, but what was happening is people were recognizing the, the branding based on the kind of nostalgia element or picking up from the nostalgia element, and they were recognizing it because it was so kind of bright and bold. But then they were drinking it, and it was tasting really, really good. So instead of it being, you know, like if you pick up something that looks really bright and then you try it, whether it's you know, like a beer or chocolate or a food or anything that's not food, and then it's, it's crap, that's what you're going to remember. You're going to remember that it's terrible. And having that... I remember it being, like, this is pretty emo, but, like, I remember it being pretty um, amazing to actually believe everything that I was saying. And, like, I was even starting to kind of do little talks and stuff about the branding. In looking at Beavertown's current designs, 
you can see the two elements that make up Nick's design philosophy. The first is, don't make promises with your branding that your product can't deliver. And the second is, big risks need good branding. A brewery which has taken a very different approach to everything is Cloud Water. While most craft breweries roll out a different brew anywhere from once a week to once a month, they maintain a core group. The idea behind Cloud Water, however, was to create different beers continuously, something many in the industry said would never work. Founders Paul and James, who is now left, decided to focus on the four seasons and only use hop varieties when they were fresh. In its mission statement, Cloudwater says, At the heart of our new venture is a deep love for the changing seasons, each bringing with it an invitation to enjoy the scarcity and abundance our natural environment offers. We want to showcase the ebb and flow by using seasonal ingredients at their very best and taking inspiration from the change of lifestyle each season creates. Along the way, there'll be old recipes and new experiments as we use the best of both traditional and cutting-edge techniques to create modern seasonal beer. The UK brewing scene and the international brewing scene beyond is vibrant and rich. We're working hard to make the best contribution to modern beer we possibly can. Brewing began in 2015 on Valentine's Day, and the beers brewed have since changed continuously. You have a favorite cloud water beer? Buy it up, drink it up, do whatever you can, because you're never going to see it again. That said, Cloudwater's wide range of flavors and constant change has been welcomed and awards have flown in. Because of the constant change in beer, so too are the labels constantly changing, with only the very distinct logo of a cloud with wavy water underneath staying the same. Cloudwater had Vicky Carr and Chris Shurston of Textbook Design Studios create the logo and make a template design model so that visiting artists can have their work placed painlessly onto the can. We, we met Paul Jones uh, in the Manchester creative scene, really. He goes to a lot of shows. He's quite interested in music before he started Cloudwater. And he knew that we were designers. So one of the reasons why he worked so well with him is because we've had a beer with him before and we know we kind of get along. So he was looking for some design studio to work on the Cloudwater branding. We said we'd be interested in the long haul and working with him regularly. And this is how the past three years have evaporated for us. Um, since they've launched, I guess you know they've done incredibly well. Uh, been, now they've been rated the fifth best brewery on the rate, <clears throat> by the Rate Beer Group. Um, during that time, they've opened uh, their brew tap. They've then changed their brew tap to the barrel store. We've worked on uh, designing labels for them, tweaking those labels, and now they've moved to cans. You might have seen the double IPA series. We've worked on a lot of those. And we've also worked regularly with uh, different season artists who create the main uh, kind of imagery that you will see uh, in the middle of the can, essentially. Um, so we work quite closely with them and with Paul to make sure that everything is consistent, because uh, as graphic design nerds, that's what we're interested in. Um, <clears throat> so. As Chris is saying, um, that square on the front of the label, we're pretty much treating as a canvas because when Cloudwater approached us, they were a very young business and really all they needed initially was the logo. So because we've spent quite a long time working with them, we were able to predict faster than they were what they would need. And the first idea that came into Paul's head was we want to work with lots of different artists. We want the artwork to be changing constantly and always look cool. 
So we were like, okay, what you need is a template. So that's why the logo looks, sorry, the label looks the way it does. So um, in order to kind of set a standard and give an example of what we wanted future artists to do, uh, we created the first uh, season artwork for them for their launch range of beers uh, back in 2014. Um, so the kind of, the very subtle canvas uh, template that we were talking about didn't really make sense until we got a few beers in. But now when you put them all together like this, I think our template and branding, which is very minimal and subtle, all comes together and you can start to make sense of all of it. Um, they brewed a tremendous amount of beer or like what feels like a tremendous amount of beer to us as not brewers. Um, and I think they're up to roughly Guile 100 at the minute. 300. Um, huh? 300, sorry, 300. And um, you can start to see all the different kinds of artwork with and without the logo, some really super abstract and some more structured and how they all work together so that when you see it on the shelf, our hope is that you will start to understand this is Cloudwater, whether the logo is there or not. Because of the nature of Cloudwater's production, with numerous brands being created in a very short time frame, Vicky and Chris say that they're always dealing with last minute requests. Vicky says that Paul's easy to work with and gets in full which he describes as the designer triangle. One side of the triangle is the word fast, the next side is good, and the last is cheap. According to Vicky, you can always have two sides of the triangle. You can never have all three. It's impossible, she says, to produce good quality design quickly and cheaply. If you want it quick and cheap, it's not going to be good. In San Diego, there are two craft beer brandings that will always stand out for me, Ballast Point and Green Flash, which in their own way are similar to Beavertown's Gamma Ray. It's been a blast from your past. I think the most powerful beer branding position comes from what is true and important to the drinker. Besides the actual qualities of the beer, there are emotional ones as well. Green's Flash logo is pretty simple. Against a black background as a flash of green, like rays from the setting sun. It has always been a surfer rumor, and now it's been proven by science. As the sun drops over the horizon, there is a sudden green flash. Don't ask me why. To someone from Southern California, even looking for the green flash means that you're still at the beach as the sun goes down, trying to catch that last perfect wave, kissing your girlfriend one last time before getting in the car and heading back to reality. To my London wife, green flash means nothing. For me, it means everything. Bringing back a zillion memories, all good. Green flash might not be the very best beer in the world, but I'm willing to put up with that to capture the positive emotions that it brings. Unfortunately, green flash owners thought that everyone in the States would get off on this beach image and they spread their wings and ambitions a bit too far. Big, big mistake. They've sold off their East Coast plants, been bought out themselves, and retreated back to San Diego with their tail between their legs, proving that while a great logo and brand works some places, in others it'll be a flop. If you want beautiful artwork on your bottle or can, you can't go wrong with Ballast Point. Artist and fisherman Paul Elder was talking about fishing to Ballast Point's first employee and now COO, Yusuf Cherney. Paul pulled out his sketchbook full of fish drawings with vibrant colors and meticulous detailing, and there you have it. The branding was established, 
Each Bow's Point beer is named after a Southern California saltwater game fish. There are some things going for it that Green Flash doesn't. The first is great beer taste. How do I know this? It's because enough beers in the UK are trying to capture this same exact flavor at Bow's Point, especially their Grapefruit Sculfin IPA. Second, the logo and brand can appeal to anyone, any age, any sex. If you're 21, you don't feel like you're drinking grandpa's beer. If you're 50, you don't feel like you're going after a second childhood and wearing those stupid Australian pirate length shorts. Third, the Ballast Point creators have always taken a slow, slow approach to growth. And fourth, big corporations waited to check for $1 billion under their noses, and they took it, like 99.99% of us would. Big Beer has allowed Ballast Point to expand throughout the USA, build an East Coast brewery, and keep the beer tasting pretty much the same. Here in the UK, there are around 2,000 breweries, with 300 launched the other year. While this number is much less than the States, the competition is just as tight, and in some ways I think it's even tougher. The brutal truth is this. There's only a finite number of beer drinkers in the UK, and it's a lot easier to steal competitors' customers than to create a new beer drinker. If that sounds a bit harsh for you, let me word it this way. It's easier to get a competitor's customer to experiment and try something new, like your great tasting beer, as opposed to creating a new beer drinker. In the UK, the average craft beer drinker is 25 to 34 year old. He's a white male. He likes novelty. He likes to see himself as being in front of the herd, part of a very cool inner circle, and will pay a premium to be surprised. Cloudwater's 13 pounds 40p pint in London springs to mind, and he wants to be delighted by what's in his glass, bottle, or can. While this dude might be your key target, and you'd be a fool not to go after him, let me leave you with something to ponder. Remember, there's a much larger number of adults not in this demographic, maybe just waiting for the right beer and branding approach. Figure out how you differ from the other breweries how your brand fits into this image, and start delivering. This has been your host, Velo Mitrovich, and you've been listening to Brewer's Journal Podcast. For more great podcasts, go to reviewmedia.com. To find out about the next Brewer's Lectures, visit www.brewersjournal.info. Thanks for listening.